You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Power Athlete Nation, today we welcome Coach Jason Brown, developer of Conjugate and Conditioning, Conjugate Times Conditioning, Online X-conditioning. Tra- X-conditioning. Uh. Online trainer since 2015 and author of the book, Lower Body Training, the definitive guide to increasing size, strength, and athletic performance. Jason, welcome to Power Athlete Radio. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate being on today. This is awesome. Yeah, man. We It's, it's like we're traveling similar paths in the world of not only the sport of fitness mm-hmm. enthusiasts, but also the world of online training. So you picked up mm-hmm. in 2015, man. That's that's where I want to start this conversation. Like what led you to this moment, which I feel I need to get my training out there or something's going on in the gym business that I personally need to adjust my career. Yeah, so it's funny. I, um, I got into it kind of just organically by working with one CrossFit gym for their programming. So it was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot going on back then, but uh, CrossFit gyms needing to outsource their programming was a real thing. I, I had no idea what would come from that, um, but that was the catalyst for, for making the jump to online. Now, I, I was working with only a few gyms back in 2015. Uh, actually, it was two, 2014, right around December, 2015, word of mouth started to spread with you know me working with other crossfit gyms and and basically delivering them their entire programming uh, from their warm-up their strength their conditioning pieces cool down their coaches notes um and you know really from there it just spread organically and i remember thinking you know i got to a point where i was delivering programming through google sheets which uh i mean i'm sure you guys have done that at one point or another but it's a very, very haphazard way to be delivering programming, especially once you, your client base starts growing. Um, and there wasn't train heroic and, and all the great stuff that we have now. So I remember having about a hundred gyms on my programming and thinking, okay, this is probably the time that I should either, you know, focus on just this, or, you know, maybe I'm going to, uh, you know, try to do both. I owned a gym at the time. So I made the decision that I was just going to leave, the gym owner world behind sell my business and go 100% online and, and headlong into just doing online coaching. And, and that's really what happened. That's how it kind of started. And I, I didn't do like any marketing or anything like that. It was really just word of mouth and the CrossFit affiliate page. Um, so my initial online business was box programming. So just writing programming for CrossFit boxes. And uh, we grew to about 200, 210 gyms. Um, and it became a very, very serious business pretty quickly. Yeah, no, we, uh, we never used Google Sheets. So what we did is we set up a kind of a paid back end on WordPress. And mm-hmm. then I would go in and I would launch blog posts with training programs like the weekly training or daily training, whatever it was, uh, on the paid kind of pay gateway for, for WordPress. It was awful. 
uh, because then like yeah. people are like leaving their results on like the comments and let's say it was really hard, especially when we grew to like 800, 900 people, then you're like looking, you know, there's like hundreds of comments and you're trying to go through and sift and trying to put everything into a spreadsheet for the results to see if there was efficacy for the program. Cause right, we, at right. the time we were testing, um, uh, EMS devices for Compex and PowerDot. We were using BFR, um, a bunch of the compensatory acceleration training, a bunch of the CAT uh, that we were building came out of that programming, and it was uh, just an absolute nightmare. So then we looked at actually developing our own app and sat with a couple developers, and um, it was just such a laborious process. And I kind of got into this, like, are we a tech company? Are we a training company? Let's just be a training right. company. And that's how we got to a relationship with Train Heroic. Uh, and, um, the coming on as trainer Oaks power user in the beginning, like asking like, Hey, this is what we need and really banging on the system to get it to what it's evolved to today is, uh, been a hell of a process, but it's, uh, in the beginning, man, it was like, just like the wild west. And for the most part, similar to you, um, our stuff just came because people asked for it. Uh, right, we were right. putting out a bunch of free stuff on CrossFit football and people wanted a more detailed training experience. They wanted a de more detailed community. And the only way I knew how to do it and get the results was to actually put it up and make people pay for it because sure. at the end of the day, as you know, people don't value free shit. Right. Right. So to get somebody to actually value something, they have to pay for something, which is the strangest fucking thing. Cause we would have given it away, but we couldn't get people to give us the results. So I had to force them to pay to get the results, which still doesn't make a ton of sense, but that's how that really grew. So I, I feel you on the Google sheets, but yeah, we looked at doing that and I'm like, there's no fucking way I can do this. Yeah, no, I mean it, for me, it was kind of one of those things where I thought it was going to be more of a hobby. Um, we had a lot of, of, of gyms interested in our programming because I came from the conjugate world from, from strength and conditioning. And then I got involved with CrossFit just through the military and, you know, CrossFit kind of opened my eyes to the aerobic system. I, I just was, you know, and I'm sure you guys can identify with this where, you know, aerobic training back in 2004, 2005 was if you do this, you're going to get slower, weaker, and fatter. So we didn't do any aerobic training. It was, you know all related to, to strength conditioning. I played football in college and that was really kind of the direction I went. Now, when I got involved with CrossFit, I realized there was this whole world and I had, you know, my aerobic system was basically dog shit at the time. I, you know, couldn't do CrossFit open workouts. I was strong, but there was this huge missing piece of the puzzle for me. And that really opened my eyes up to, to, to the value of having an intact aerobic system and, and really going down, you know, the energy systems rabbit hole. Um, so you know, the conjugate side of things, we had people, we were, we were box squatting. We were using accommodating resistance. We were doing a lot of GPP based work, a lot of sleds, uh, pushes, pulls, carries. And, uh, you know, at the time it just seemed like no one was doing that stuff. They were kind of deeming it as non-functional. And a lot of the gyms that I worked with had incredible success. You know, people were hitting hundred pound PRs in their squats and like all the time. I mean, that was like a regular occurrence and, and they just didn't understand how that was happening. Um, so needless to say, you know, I went from having four gyms on board to a hundred within a year's time. And then another year, you know, we had another hundred people on board, um, which, you know, again, coming from being a gym owner and, you know, I think me and my wife collectively were making about a hundred K a year with a 200 member gym to now having a, a, you know, a half a million dollar online business, half a million dollar a year online business was like, what, what the fuck, what am I, what am I even wasting my time with, with owning a gym and busting my balls working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week when I can just put all my effort into just one thing and, uh, you, you know, really have the ability to write my own ticket. 
Well, you also have to have the lab, though. I mean, I um, right. I did the same thing. I mean, we, uh, you know, I had a CrossFit Balboa, and we had a physical gym. I was traveling, teaching CrossFit football seminars. We started putting out programming. We were still doing uh, Power Athlete. And what was cool was, um, you know, when you, and not that I would go back in a heartbeat, but I think that there was a lot of value in those early days being able to have a whole bunch of people to test stuff on. And, uh, you know, and I think without that actual brick and mortar experience and a little bit of knowing what the gyms go through, I just Mm -hmm. don't think that you've created any ethos. So now all of a sudden you're like, you know, I've been a gym owner. These are the results we're getting in our gym. And it's such an easier narrative, not that you're spinning a narrative, but like the narrative just makes sense to people and really kind of grew it. I think where people are struggling maybe today in the online deal is if you don't have that practical experience. Sure. And I know for us, I mean, we, you know, here at where I, where we are, I mean, we still have a gym, uh, people come in, you know, we're training athletes, uh, presently and it's nice to bring people in and be able to work in like kind of small focused, you know, Hey, we have a specific task. This guy needs something specific and let's work with this, you know, high level athlete. Whereas, you know, uh, which is kind of interesting because then you're in a situation where everything works opposed yeah. from like, I always go back to the general pop thing where we, we had these amazing ideas and all these systems and everything. And you're like, fuck dude, nothing is working on these people. And it's because, you know, they're, you know, never built a strength gain, uh, base, um, you know, the lack of conditioning, like, you know, Louis always talked about, you got to have a base level of GPP to be able to build upon, right, you know, right. as you found. So, I mean, there was just a lot of things that I think I saw within the training lab and I also know Chris, uh, working in CrossFit gyms and also working as a strength coach. There's just a lot of ideas that I, I don't know if we could speak from a position of authority, if we didn't have that, but yet I would never go back to do it again. If somebody's like, you want to open a gym? I'd be like, fuck no. Like as, as you found out, but it, it's kind of like, uh, it's like the history of it. It's, it, it it's just definitely makes sense. necessary. It's necessary. Yeah. I mean, you have to be in the trenches. I don't think that, you know, I get people all the time asking me, how do I, how do I gain clients? How do I gain online clients? Um, you know, and that's a, that's a tough one to answer. I think that, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways you can see in the cat. Um, but I think having been there and done it and worked with people in person, if you're trying to be a trainer and you're a new trainer and you're going to shift right to online, that's a vital piece of the, of the process that you're missing, uh, working with people, having your hands on them, being tactile, being able to, you know, to see things real time versus working with people remotely, you know, some of the stuff you're not seeing, you don't see anything real time. So you're giving someone feedback, but then they don't get to take action on that feedback till, you know, days later. It's, it's, it's very tough to, to try to explain that to someone that hasn't been there and done it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, just, uh, the amount of, you know, traffic and, and the people shooting us stuff, like being able to look at videos and go through and be able to me- do meaningful coaching and then having them, you know, the tests and the retests, like, Hey, this is going to pop up again. Like, you know, uh, constantly buried, uh, you know, like the days of constantly buried are kind of over. Like there's a set base of movement patterns that we need to con- constantly revisit to see if we sure. can track progress, which I think in the CrossFit gym, you know, like people were just randomly throwing workouts out there. Yeah. And I remember looking at Jim's programming and being like, well, how do you know people get better? Well, they're getting better. I'm like, yeah, but the workouts are different every day. Yeah. Uh, a big part of our education, Jason was programming. Like we'd teach two programming lectures and then part of the, the homework on Saturday night, we'd send them home to, to, Essentially, we gave them a strength template, and then please provide the conditioning, and we would just grade these things. Oh, it was so bad. We we uh, oh, it was. We got to the point where we actually, I think, we just cut that from the course because uh, it was amazingly uh, bad. Yeah, and I and like my first question has always been like when somebody submitted programming, how long does this take? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, have you ever done this? No. 
And I'm like, uh, you're like a cook that doesn't eat their own food. Right. I mean, and that was something we saw universal that people were going in and they were programming without testing anything. I mean, there wasn't anything that we've ever programmed that we haven't done ahead of time. There were all these great ideas we had. We went and tested it and we're like, I fucked myself up like uh, heavy deadlifts and toes to bar. Like yeah. if you want to fuck somebody sciatic up and get them not walking, do sure. that one for one. You know, so there was just a whole bunch of stuff. We're like, oh, this sounds like good. Well, let's go fuck it. Let's go give it a try. And uh, there were a lot of bodies left on the floor when we're like, yeah, we can't program that. And people, that was the one thing that struck me. I mean, we were fortunate. I mean, there's hundreds of seminars and we, we would give these programming things and it was invariable that people would submit programs and no concept of how long it would take, uh, what kind of, you know, how this whole thing would go, how they're going to skin it, how they're going to put it in a class environment, how they were going to get 40 kids to run through it. And then on top of it, uh, I've never done any of these fucking workouts because this shit looks awful and I would never do it. And I remember just like pulling my hair out and being like, you can't do it. Like, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure in the same right, like, you know, you were in your gym, you saw what was working, you were training with your athletes, you're still doing all these things. And now you're like just offering, Hey, this is what we're doing in our gym. Now let me help these other gyms. Well, that you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. We, you know, I had a bank of programming and it had all been tested. So the lesson plan, as far as knowing the actual minute of how every, how long everything should take and, you know, being able to write a lesson plan, which, you know, in and of itself is a, is a whole other thing and a whole other side to programming, which I, I, I don't do anymore. I actually don't own that business. I actually sold that business and, and, you know, made another shift with what I was doing personally, but um, there are so many different moving parts to that. If you don't know precisely how long something should take, then there's, there's going to be a disconnect, whether it be from just, you know, the response of the training itself, or, you know, even going deeper, like looking at how they're responding on a stress level to the programming that you're writing for them. So I, again, I don't know how you would write programming for a group setting and know how it's going to turn out if there is not some type of testing process that's done beforehand. So with the, uh, with the conjugate stuff, I mean, you were exposed to that in the military through Westside Barbell? Yeah. So prior to the military, I, I started training at a facility when I was a kid that was, uh, my strength coach was, um, involved with Westside. So I'd been to Westside back when I was a kid, this was probably 2004, 2005. And then I went again, um, a few times and I went again with, uh, with Louie and, um, Glenn Pendelay taught that seminar that they did. It was like a one time seminar that the two of them did together. Uh, so that was the last time I've been to Westside, which I think now was like 2016. So yeah, I've been involved with a conjugate method and, you know, did the special strengths course of a while back now, 2014, 2015. I've read every book or, and any, anything Louis ever said or done, I've, I have, I have consumed, you know, over the years, um, you know, from books like super training and science of practice, strength training, go down the list of, of all the texts that there are for the special strengths exam. So, you know, using it's, it's funny, you know, when I started getting involved with CrossFit, I started, you know, doing my own experimentation, like anyone, like you said, you know, being in the trenches and experimenting, seeing what works, you know, there was a lot of different things that I experimented with a lot of different models of training and, and, you know, even using at one point using uh, a lot of linear periodization. And, you know, I, I always found that there was a disconnect between um, trying to marry both strength and conditioning within the same week. Um, there would always be some type of interference, which we know is, can be the case if you, you know, are, are going too hard on any one of those areas. Um, so every time I reintroduce conjugate to my own training, 
is when I started getting going down the right path again. Um, so really through my own trial and error, I started, um, you know, really making conjugate kind of the base of that program. And then we could put things in like classic CrossFit couplets and triplets um, and do it a little bit more strategically where, again, like you said, you know, deadlifts and Tozabar, it's a great example of a classic CrossFit couplet, but, you know, done under the wrong, wrong circumstances. I see a lot of gyms are doing a 5RM deadlift and then they're doing 2159 of deadlifts and Tozabar. It's like, you know, the, the, there is a point of diminishing returns. You've got hip extension, hip flexion happening on, on multiple scenarios with high levels of loading. Um, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, so I would honestly kind of trick people into doing more of a conjugate based session. So we might do, you know, a submaximal effort deadlift and it might be followed by loaded carries and sled pushes, right? They don't know the difference that, you know, it, it, in, in the scheme of things, it might look very different, but it might feel the same to them. So it was really a lot about tricking people into doing more accessory work, work, more single joint exercises, more, you know, just foundational pattern movement work um, to build, as you say, their base of fitness. So then when we do things like the CrossFit open, or, you know, they do a CrossFit competition, they're in a good position to, to, um, to be successful with that stuff and still not be overtrained and losing motivation. Cause I see a lot of the gyms that I've worked with is, you know, their clients complain like, oh, I'm just not motivated. You know, they get to this like point in their career, their CrossFit career, like three, four, five years where they just lose motivation. They just see 2159. Like, I don't want to do that workout anymore. I just don't feel motivated to do snatches anymore or whatever the case may be. Um, and I find that, you know, there's just a lack of GPP, you know, they don't have that base of fitness and they're getting subjected to things that they really haven't earned the right to do that yet. If you haven't really solidified your squat, you know, why are we, why are we doing a full clean? There's a disconnect. So I feel that, um, a lot of these gyms just, have, you know, do a lot better when we just simplify the programming quite a bit. And as you said, have like a template, have a schedule of where things happen within a given week versus just, you know, throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. Now the, uh, yeah, no, you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, we used to get the majority of people that would come to our seminar and kind of came to us were always like the CrossFitters in year two, three, four, five that were kind of burned out. They'd already maxed out all the glycolytic capacity that they ever could get. And now they were in a situation where like, how am I going to do this faster? I can't go physically any faster. The only way I can get better is to make it light, lighter. So then we had, uh, and that was a big issue when uh, we taught the seminars is people were, you know, there were people that were really fit, but just couldn't move any type of loads. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a ton of dysfunction. I mean, navicular drop, collapse this. I mean, just the amount of dysfunction that we saw was extremely beneficial because then after you start seeing the same dysfunction over and over again, and people are doing the follow the same training system, which looked like nothing but bilateral hip hinging in a sagittal plane. Yeah. Uh, and then you put them through a whole bunch of models. Like we do resistance sprints, change the direction and they couldn't do anything. All of a sudden, then you start building a model to fix these people, put that model out and then you start comparing the two, which is what happened for us in that, uh, the model that we were putting out, people would show up and were a lot more well sorted than the people that didn't. And it was interesting to always talk with them and see, you know, Hey, where are you on your journey? And it was like, Oh, I got into CrossFit. I got super fit, which is, uh, I think for most people, um, you know, they're, like the thought of being fit when they first go to CrossFit versus what fit looks like four or five years later are completely two different things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you were to ask the average person on the street, what, you know, what does fit look like or what is fit? They'd be like, oh, somebody that has abs or, you know, a lady who's got nice arms, she's fit. 
Uh, whereas all of a sudden you go to CrossFit and you see what fit is and four or five years later, you realize that those people that are probably doing those wads aren't real fit because you throw something heavy in like a, you know, heavy carry and all of a sudden they're just fucking exploded. Yeah. And so, exactly. you know, whereas when we went out to Westside, um, those power lifter dudes, I mean, Louis liked a certain body type, you know, five, five to five, eight, you know, anywhere from 275 to 330 pounds to look like a fucking Ram man. And because uh, they need him squat That's big like weights. that guy you were just rolling with. Oh, my basically. God, dude. Uh, as I'm sitting here, I'm still like, I can still feel the congestion in my chest and I can still feel my compressed rib. I'm not kidding you, dude. I had um, just a side note. Uh, we played um, first round of the playoffs, played the Chicago Bears. And we were down. This was actually the last game at Old uh, Soldier Field. We were down on the goal line and we ran this little dive play. I was playing left guard right over me. And uh, I had to try to cut uh, this dude, fucking Keith Trailer who was like 6'2", fucking 365 pounds. And as I hit him, his knee spun, and when he spun, he sat on my helmet. And his ass was so big that it compressed my helmet, and I could hear it going, and I could see my face mask bending, and then it stopped. And then the uh, the fat of his ass started coming <laughs> through my face mask, and it was like, like, like literally like a blob coming through me. And I started to freak out, and then I just kind of like closed my eyes, and I was like, "This is just, it. This just, is how it ends." No, I was like, "Just, just calm down. You're gonna like, if you fucking freak out, you're gonna have art. Like, you're gonna die." And then slowly, I just kind of laid there, and then they like pried him off me, and I saw the fat dissipate. Uh, and uh, it re- it reminds me, like you know, you see like the floods in Florida, and the water dissipates; it just goes away. That's what it was like. I stand up, and I can't get my helmet off because it's so tight. So I had to go over and they had to like finally wedge my head out and I'm smashing the helmet trying to get it back out. But that was not nearly as bad as what happened to me last night. That's so I, serious. yeah, I mean like this dude, like he got his arms around me and if, if you know Jits, like in this body lock position and he somehow weaseled it in and, and like, I was like, fuck, this dude is so fucking strong. And then I remembered like, if you got to hustle 360, 380 pounds around, even if you don't lift weights, and you're doing this, so he has to move his body around other people. That dude's strong as fuck. Mm. Like that guy definitely could help me move a couch. So just side note, dude. So and yeah, for free pizza. And <laughs> as I'm sitting here, sure. no. Well, he's got a small stomach. He probably eats like a chiclet now. Like so, that's the thing. When they lap band your stomach, now all of a sudden they like physically you can only consume like five to eight hundred calories because your stomach's so small that like you could eat half a chicken breast. And then they also can't process any fat, so they eat like high protein diet, severe caloric restriction, and that's how they lose all that weight. But sorry, not 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 to fucking go too far off the rails, but as I'm talking, I can still feel it. <sighs> yes, and so you sold the programming business, Jason. <laughs> and let's get into. Uh, I'm more excited as excited as I am. I'm I'm kind of excited to hear about where you live and like uh, 13 acres, what you guys are doing yeah. out there. Yeah, this build a facility has afforded you the opportunity to get off the grid. I mean, are you purely off the grid? Like you guys are I'm, on I'm solar? Not, no, that wouldn't be accurate. I'm, I, you know, I, we still get, I mean, luckily we still get like Amazon deliveries for our food, which I don't know if you guys use Amazon for food delivery from Whole Foods, but I've got three young kids, six, four, and uh, three. Ooh. So it is You're right very in the fight, hard. Dude. You're right in the fight. You're right in the fight. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it's great, right? I mean, I'm sure everyone says, oh, it's going to be so great when they're older and they're so close in age and yada, yada, yada. But it has been really tricky um, to, to to do basic things like going food shopping and whatnot. So that has been a just a, an invaluable service for us, having being able to get food deliveries. You know, like last night, it was 8 o'clock and we were out of, uh, I don't know, something they eat for, for going to school. And 
it's just been, it's really great to be able to get those food deliveries. So I'm not off the grid, um, but I do have 13 acres of land. Um, we've got chickens, we've got ducks, you know, so we, we consume a lot of eggs. We get, uh, you know, about 10 to 12 eggs a day. And actually they're, they're not producing as well right now. Cause they're, I guess in this phase of molting, which I've never heard of, but mm -hmm. apparently they don't produce as many eggs. Yeah. Um, and you know, we can, you know, I, my neighbor, I go, go shoot guns at my neighbor's house. Um, you know, I was in the military, so I still like to, to kind of keep my, uh, my skills with, with shooting intact. Um, we're 700 feet from the road. I mean, we're, we're, I have no neighbors, so I can basically do, you know, we do whatever we want here for the most part. Um, and by whatever I want, I mean, you know, I can, uh, plug my electric guitar in outside and turn my amp up all the way and, and just jam out for an hour if I want to, and no one is going to care. Whereas, you know, we moved from a cul-de-sac, which is a, is a completely different, you know, you go out your back porch and you're basically saying hi to your neighbor. They're right there in plain sight. So, um, so, so it's great where we are and where there's a lot of outdoor activities. We love being outside. Our kids are always outside, you know, getting dirty. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a great place to live. If you love the outdoors, love the scenery. Um, but it does get pretty cold here. So I like the cold personally. My wife doesn't, I look forward to it. Um, but yeah, it's great. The, uh, the, so we live on a pretty decent piece of property and the only thing that's a negative of not living in a neighborhood is when your kids get a little older, yeah. uh, like finding other kids to go ride bikes and kind of like pal around the neighborhood. So that's been kind of a little bit more of a interesting thing where like, you know, their friends all have to like take their bikes over to their friend's houses so they can, cause some of their friends live in little communities. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. And that was the benefit of living in a cul-de-sac. Everyone, you know, the kids were out and you know, they had tons of friends in the neighborhood. Um, but, but yeah, it is what it is. So they're, uh, they're definitely, you know, they love being in the woods and being outside playing. I said, get, getting dirty and, uh, they can certainly do that here. Nice. And you got a pretty sweet garage gym setup. I do. Yes. It's, uh, it's funny. I back, I think back when I started CrossFit, like right before the military, I, um, I built a garage gym in my parents' garage. I don't even know if I asked them, but I bought like <laughs> an old elite FTS squat rack from some facility that was going out of business. And I dumped that in there and I just kind of started training from home. And, uh, you know, it was always like a dream to have a, have a home gym. Right. I mean, being able to, again, do whatever you want, have that freedom. So it's, it's definitely, it's progressed in the house that we're in, we built. So we were able to really build out a sweet space just for that gym. Um, you know, and that, and that's where I film all my content, all my videos and, and, you know, so I get the added expense, like being able to write it off as a business expense, which is pretty damn cool. Um, that, you know, equipment gets included, included in that, but I'm pretty set at this point. I've got basically everything I could want or need. So, um, but I, but I love it. It's, it's, uh, an amazing thing to have access to. No, it's, uh, uh, and no clients. Yeah, no clients. <laughs> uh, I love having a garage gym. Um, I do kind of miss like going to like Gold's Gym or some of the Globo gyms just to people watch a little bit because I think mm -hmm. we somehow get so far removed from it. Uh, like the, periodically, I'd like to go, even though I've been in a while. I used to have a membership to the Gold's when we first moved out here, and it was just interesting to like take you back and remind you of like, fuck, man, some people are so far off the grid in terms of like where they should be. Sure. And what's been wild is, um, I mean, as you know, dude, there's so much information on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's, uh, you know, like um, we had 
uh, Gabrielle Leon or Lion on the mm-hmm. podcast, and she's a, a doc and is real big into this, uh, you know, into protein and muscle. Um, she's been saying actually very something very similar to what we've been saying for a lot of years that you know most of the people don't need to lose fat; they probably just look better if they gain some muscle. So it's not that we're over fat; we're just probably under muscled. Right. And um, so there's been this interesting since we had her on the podcast. Uh, I've been kind of like noodling over this idea of like, you know, uh, you know, cause she talked about muscle being, uh, like the, the greatest organ we have in terms of longevity. And while that's true, uh, there's an interesting piece of like, is it muscle or is it strength? You know, is it the fact that like people are, are fat and is it the fact that they're, they don't carry muscle or is it that just people are generally weak? Mm-hmm. And as I've been kind of noodling on this, it's a little bit of both because, you know, you have to do some form of strength evolution to be able to put on muscle. Sure. Um, I've, I haven't seen anybody just randomly like, oh, I put on 20 pounds of muscle just walking, you know? Yeah, no. So, uh, you know, being able to, you know, linear progress or however it is, I mean, being able to do a little bit more than you did the next day and whatever that looks like for people, um, it it's just kind of this interesting debate. And I realized that uh, when you start removing barriers to it, like, oh, uh, I don't have a place to train. All right, well, then now you got a garage gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like at this point with social media, YouTube and all the other stuff, like if you don't know what you're doing, you can figure it out real close. And there's always, you know, people like us, people like you to reach out to that'll take it another step. And then the next piece is like, oh, I don't have access to good food. Ah, man, it's, uh, it's probably never been easier to access. Uh, you know, you can have it delivered to your house. Right. I mean, uh, I still like, I, I actually physically enjoy going to the grocery store. Um, whereas, uh, Matt Vincent, like still blows his mind. He's like, we order everything. We don't ever go to the fucking grocery store. I'm like, I like to go see people. I like to walk around. I like to see what's there. So, uh, like we've effectively through either technology or whatever it looks like. I mean, the fact that, and you, you know, this, when you bought an elite FTS rack, like I see these deals pop up where they're like free shipping on 45 pound plates. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like it's yeah. never been easier to get equipment. Whereas before, you know, we would go down to, uh, we call it play it again, was this like uh, resale of, of used gym equipment place down at Costa Mesa. And we would buy 45 plates for like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And we'd buy every one they had every time we went there. And so it was like, the, like it's become so much easier. The barrier to entrance is so high or is so low now that it's almost the fact that like there isn't much excuse anymore. And there so, isn't. And I think that, you know, COVID brought about this, this, uh, this new kind of culture that has home gyms. I mean, I, I work with, um, with a lot of people, um, that have great home gyms and I'm not talking like they've got some dumbbells in a squat rack. They've got, you know, reverse hypers, you know, GHDs, sleds. I mean, air bike, you go down the list, they've got really a full setup. And, um, I've never seen more people training from home. I think, you know, a lot of these people that, really placed their fitness at a, at a very high level of importance said, well, shit, I, I'm not going to just not go to the gym. So I'm going to buy my own equipment and start training from home. Um, and I've, I've just have never seen so many people with great home setups. And even now, you know, we actually just got on train heroic, uh, what in August. Um, and you know i've seen so many people who've got a private facebook group posting in there and i'm like holy shit some of these home gyms are literally better than a crossfit box you yeah. know so people really invested um which is which is super cool because like you said now there's no excuse yeah. if we get you know gyms get shut down again it's no one's gonna, no one should be losing any fitness they can still get it done from home and, and get it done you know on a very high level 
yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think that anything that looks like a shutdown will ever happen again. No. But I, I do believe that the probably the silver lining of the shutdown and of all the COVID stuff was actually the building of garage gyms because right. I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I get tagged in things all the time on social or I see it pop up where I'm like, fuck, that's a really nice gym. It's awesome. I yeah. mean, people have like built spaces and lights and like have done some really amazing things where I'm like, shit, dude. Uh, like I know we had to up our game, uh, and you know, at our gym here and like, you know, add neon and dumbbells. And, you know, we were kind of like, Holy shit, dude, these people are leaving us behind. We got up to people up take game. it serious. I mean, there's pages. I mean, you've probably seen like garage gym reviews, I remember the guy that started that coop, like back when, you know, he had like no followers. It was, it was, you know, just kind of this small movement. I mean, it is, he actually, I think he's got like a full-time gig now with just garage gym reviews. Um, You guys probably know better than I do, but I mean, I see, I saw him in his YouTube channel. He actually did a, uh, he did a feature on my gym. This is in my old house. He posted the video tour that I did and I just, I, I've seen his channel just grow like astronomically. Um, and it's, again, people are taking it very seriously, which is, which is awesome. I mean, I love it. I love seeing it. Um, I would say that I'm, I'm a little bit more simplistic. Like I, I don't really, I've actually tried to decrease the amount of shit I have. Um, I, at one point, you know, when I sold my gym, I had a, an ATP from Westside. I had an inverse leg curl and those are things I took with me. And I had that shit in my home gym. Like, do I really need a fucking ATP in my garage gym? I'm yes, the only yes, person using yes. it. It's a great piece of equipment, but I actually we, end up we have it. one. Yeah, we have one. It's, yeah, it's phenomenal. It but, you know, you've got 500 square feet at best. And that thing takes up basically, you know, half of the half of the floor space. Um, I, I ended up selling it to my my buddy who you guys may or may, may not know. Um, Murph, he owns... Um, the hell TPS in right outside of Boston total, uh, sports performance. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's the lead FTS guy, but anyways, I ended up selling it to him. Like he, you know, this doesn't make any sense for me to have this. You've got people that are going to use this thing every day and it's just taking up space for me. So no, we, we use it, uh, do So we do a ton of warm up stuff, especially with, uh, the fighters we've been working with, um, just basic marches, you know, mm-hmm. like med ball throws. And, and I dude, I love it for calf raises. So donkey yeah. calf raises is like my oh, favorite yeah. one for that. But we do a ton of stuff on that thing. I, I, I mean, we've had one, man. I think I've had that that uh, that unit. I mean, so we don't have the adjustable arms on it. It's the old school one. Mm-hmm. I think we got that in like 2012. So I've had it 20, like 10 years and mm-hmm. um, use use that thing at least a couple times a week. So yeah, reverse hyper. I remember that was the first piece of equipment I bought for my own personal gym that was in the downstairs of my house. I had a mm-hmm. woodway treadmill. I had a squat rack. Had weights. Uh, had adjustable dumbbells and a reverse hyper. And that was, uh, you know, when um, I wasn't, you know, so when I played, I went up to athletes performance yeah. uh, and then I would kind of train there with my brothers and then I got tired of going to athletes performance. So I actually ended up training at a CrossFit gym, which is how I got involved and exposed to CrossFit because actually they were the only ones in the area that had bumper plates. So I had to drive 45 minutes uh, to an hour to Carson to athletes performance uh, where Mark Verstegen's place was. It was the only place that had, uh, you know, bumper plates and platforms. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, Somebody's like, oh, there's this uh, gym up the street that has bumper plates. And I was like, oh, really? So I went up there and was like, hey, can I, uh, can I, you know, do my, uh, uh, you know, Olympic stuff here? And they were like, yeah, sure. Um, come in. And I'm like, what the fuck is this place? Feels like I'm like, you know, and it was ended up being CrossFit Newport Beach. Well, it's funny. I think I remember seeing that because I got involved with CrossFit in like 2006. And I, I feel like 
for whatever reason, I, I never got to CrossFit football seminar. I feel like there was, there was, there was something that it, it stopped at one point. Right. I, I again, I remember the, I remember seeing yeah, you on the site on like CrossFit.com. Well, CrossFit.com had re- removed <laughs> CrossFit football from yeah. the webpage uh, in so when 2009. We, yeah, so when we launched, uh, there was CrossFit, and then on the left there was CrossFit Kids, yeah. and then CrossFit Football was underneath it because uh, there was only, I think CrossFit Football and CrossFit Kids were the only two licensed like versions of their own CrossFit, whereas mm-hmm. all the other SMEs were like teaching an element of CrossFit. Um, mine was my own kind of adaptation for power athletes on sure. CrossFit and then CrossFit kids, obviously different. And then, uh, um, Glassman got upset at Rob and I over something. And when I wouldn't publicly fucking cut Rob Wolf's head off, they basically took me off of the web, off of the front page of CrossFit. And I was like, oh, all right, well, I'll just hang around until you break up with me. And it took them <laughs> another, well, 2017, we 2017. rode off into the sunset. Yeah, they finally broke up with us. It was uh, it was uh, like, I'm, I'm sure maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but we've all probably dated somebody. We're like, God, I just wish this person would break up with me so we could just yeah, go yeah. on our separate ways because I wasn't uh, enough of a man to do it myself. And uh, that was what my relationship across it was. We were like just kind of hanging out there and like, oh, I wonder if they're going to break up with us one day. And it took them a number of years and it was over a stake. Hey, I benefited greatly from that dysfunctional relationship. I've seen the world, <laughs> and I am so grateful for the opportunity. Uh, I, man, I uh, uh, for all the craziness and wackiness that we were involved with CrossFit HQ and those and Glassman and them, uh, I will would never go back and do it any other way. Mm-hmm. Just for the fact that we got a chance to put out free programming and then travel the world from the Arctic Circle to New Zealand and back and meet the people doing the program and yes, actually hear cool. the real world results. So it. Uh, Whereas I think some people, you know, let's say you got a, a gym of 40, 50 people. We got a chance to literally put our hands on thousands of people over, you know, 10 years, nine years. Um, I mean, the number comes into, you know, which is, is wild to think. And just people from different walks of life, different training. You show up to a, a gym, people walk in and they're like, we've been following the program. I'm like, I can fucking tell you've been following the program. And or they're multi attendees. So they would attend one year and they'd be one person. And then you see them the next year. And they like, would almost, no, no. They, they would almost, yeah, use it as like a little bit of AAR, like, you know, do I got all my shit in one sock? Yeah. Uh, right. You know, has, you know, can I test my training again in this deal? Mm-hmm. And uh, people would show up, and I remember on numerous occasions, people would be like, oh, hey, uh, like, oh, I'm talking with them. And then they're like, oh, I was here two years ago. And, and then they would like, I'd be like, holy shit, that's you? Like, I mean, all of a sudden this dude's put on 20 pounds of muscle and looks yeah. great. I mean, all of a sudden they're eating a high protein diet, not fucking seven zone blocks a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're banging heavy weights or throws. I mean, all this stuff. And uh, it was amazing for me just because I had a lot of theories on programming. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is, is they all started with me and I'm, you know, uh, six, six played in the NFL. So I obviously have a certain genetic advantage over certain people. Sure. And so what I always worry is that, you know, you fail at the margins of your experience and like, you know, well, just because something works for me doesn't mean it's going to work for other people. And that's mm-hmm. what drove me fucking crazy about programming is everybody's like, hey, this, you know, this is how I squatted a thousand pounds. You can squat a thousand pounds, too. And you're like, well, shit, one, uh, I'm not five, five, three hundred pounds. Right, you know, right. like so there was just a, um, a lot of failures for me in that uh, I had theories. And, you know, like you said, like you, I mean, uh, obviously we had always done some form of conjugate uh, Olympic lifting West Side sprint kind of Charlie Francis deal. Mm-hmm. And I knew what worked for me and I knew it worked for my friends, but I wasn't as convinced with just normal people. And then I got to the foundation that if you can just teach people the basics and then progress them on and get them really strong, teach them to sprint, get a little capacity. I mean, the, uh, 
the one thing, uh, somebody actually asked me this the other day, uh, the only two things that never got easy in my life were lifting weights, the weights never got light, and sprinting never got easy. There isn't a day that I got done sprinting where I was like, oh, that's not bad, let's do that again. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, whereas everything else, I mean, we got pretty good at CrossFit where you fucking do some burner, you know, you, you fucking sit down for a second, you get up and you're ready to go again. And you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. I think I could do another one. But sprinting and lifting weights, those two. So if, after all these years, if those two are still the most demanding, it probably have to, like, put a little more, a ton of emphasis on those, like lifting heavy weights and, and running as fast as you can. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Do most of your clients now, are they still uh, going for that fitness realm or are you starting to explore athleticism development at all? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Once I, um, I got to the point with box programming, like working with gyms and I had a coach working for me that was running the business. It got, it got tricky because you're getting, you're getting a lot, like you uh, just said, John, you're getting a lot of different uh, data points. Um, and we had at one point, you know, about 40,000 people using the programming a day um, across the globe. So there was a lot of a lot of great things that came from that. But what got tricky for me was I just certainly fell out of alignment with classic CrossFit, trying to fit in different style of workouts, you know, trying to fit in hero workouts and, and uh, you know, some of the things I just didn't want to do anymore. I didn't want to have, you know, general fitness people doing Olympic lifting. Didn't make yeah. sense to me. Um, I didn't want them to do, be doing any kipping at all. So for me, it just made sense to kind of go a different direction. And I had a lot of individuals that were, you know, I like to call like the everyday athlete. They're people that did CrossFit for five, six years. And they just, you know, kind of like myself kind of fell out of love with it and wanted to train in a more sustainable way, but they're still concerned with their metrics. They still want to see improvement across the board. They still want to train for maximal strength and, you know, speed strength and just go down the list of different qualities. Um, and that's what really kind of brought about doing more individual programming and, you know, conjugate X conditioning was like the marriage of using the conjugate system, but then using zone two style work as really kind of that bridge between those harder training sessions between your max effort or your dynamic effort sessions. Um, so, so that's the people that I work with now are predominantly from CrossFit. Um, and they just, again, have, you know, nine, nine out of 10 do not want to Olympic lift anymore. Nine out of 10 do not want to do a kipping, a kipping anything. Um, and you know, they do really well in this style of training because it lends itself to not only their goals and their needs, where their, their training, um, status is, but also their personality type. They're still able to push it at certain times in a more strategic way and see that carry over to multiple qualities of fitness. Um, and I obviously think that, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the people too are, are, um, are definitely, you know, just as concerned with their body composition. So a lot of the stuff that we're doing really works well for those individuals that, you know, again, fall out of love with CrossFit. And there's, there's, I mean, I can't tell you guys how many, I'm sure you see the same thing, but there's so many 
people that have the same story that I interact with. It's almost like I like I, this can't be the same story again. It's the same story. And I'm not talking just like, you know, 10 or 20 people. We're talking hundreds of people. I mean, we've, we've got uh, about 300 people on the train heroic app right now. And it's like, you know, we just started it and, and they're all saying really the same things, which is again, always interesting to me to see, but um, you know, the, the success that they're, they're having just following a more structured plan and in removing a lot of those elements that they simply just, are not in alignment with their goals or their needs anymore. How, how do they find you? Were you leading some of their former box programs or they just found you via Googles? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that leading up to this point, what I did back when I started box programming is every time I had a question, I would just write an article for it. So mm -hmm. I had a lot of questions because again, we were doing things that were really outside of the box, so to speak with, with CrossFit programming. Um, so, you know, people would say like, Hey, well, why are we doing loaded carries or sleds or, or, you know, go down a list of different modalities that we, we would utilize. So I wrote an article about basically everything. Um, I started, you know, I had articles published on elite FTS. I ended up getting, becoming a columnist for them. So I write an article re regularly for them. And so collectively over the last six years, there's about a thousand articles I've written, uh, whether it be T nation elite FTS or. Dr. John Russin or Christian Thibodeau, you know, go down the list of, of different sites as well as my own website. Um, so there's a lot of pieces of content that I didn't see really necessarily see a return back then. And this kind of goes back to the people that asked me like, well, how do I gain clients? I did a lot of shit for free, a lot of free content, a lot <laughs> of years. free programs, a lot for of free years. downloads, yeah. um, you know, building the mailing list and, and just doing all these things that were, were, you know, not, I wasn't seeing a return then, but now, you know, I have basically all that goodwill that I put in and it's, it's, it's now paying off for me. So a lot of people come from articles. Hey, I read that article you wrote on elite FTS. I mean, I've written some ones that are, that went pretty far. Most of the articles I wrote that, you know, I don't want to say bash CrossFit, but like, you know, some of them were like, Hey, you can say that let's do, well, uh, you know, one of them was CrossFit smarter. Like uh, uh, I wrote for, for Dr. John Russin's site and yeah. it was like, you know, people you know, most people agreed, but there are, of course, a lot of people that have a very visceral reaction to, yeah. you know, speaking about CrossFit in any negative way. Um, and, you know, to be completely honest, guys, like I, I don't love, uh, I don't love getting in, in debates and arguing with people and, and, um, you know, that stuff, I think putting yourself out there and saying like, Hey, listen, I'm going to take a stance, whether or not you agree with me. For me personally, that was hard. I mean, even putting myself out there with all the content was hard. Um, and it's still hard, you know, even after doing it so long. But um, I, I do feel like that is the piece that, you know, if I was going to, if anyone asked me, how do you build an online business? I would say, well, you, you got to put yourself out there. You got to write content. You got to give free value. Like uh, George and I had a great conversation on it. And he's like, you know, people want to be successful, but they don't realize how much time goes in into building your brand, building your name, building your ethos. He's like, it, it takes 10 years. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, then you look like an overnight success. It takes you 10 years to be an overnight success. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, building brand loyalty and doing all the little things, creating relationships, being a, you know, good person and not a complete fucking shit bag, which um, I think is why a lot of people get spun out. But it just takes time. It does. And I don't know how you go back and recreate that. But uh, I tell people like, shit, man, people are doing it every single day. Yeah. And I, you know, I, again, I feel like we're just in the, we're like a society of just like everything's so quick. It's so instant. You, again, you want food, you just hit a button and you get a food delivery. 
Um, and I, I do see a lot of the younger, uh, you know, trainers and coaches that are, that are moving, that are making the shift to online that are expecting it to, you know, to happen quickly where you're selling, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people are starting out with just one-on-one, but, um, even if you're trying to sell a training program and if you haven't really shown people, I remember seeing Joe DeFranco at a seminar years ago and he said, um, the only reason he got triple H as a client, because he wrote for, I don't know, over a decade, he was writing free training on his website and, um, you know, triple H found it and was applying a lot of the things that Joe was saying. And uh, needless to say, like he, he didn't see any return back then, but, you know, fast forward a decade down the road and, and Triple H says, well, I just, you know, I took all your free advice and I saw that it w- fucking worked. And I was like, holy shit, this guy, you know, obviously knows what he's talking about. And that was the catalyst for him reaching out and, you know, wow. Triple H becoming a, a, a client of uh, Joe DeFranco. So, dude, I mean, uh, West Side for Skinny Bastards, I think last time I looked had uh, more hits and more like, like, which is so ironic that a West Side for Skinny Bastards was more successful than anything out of West Side. Yeah. I mean, that's like the, you know, it was kind of a conjugate slash bodybuilding, you know, mm-hmm. like pick five accessory or five movements, rotate through them. Um, you know, there was a little bit of volume, a little bit of max effort, a little bit of, you know, I don't know if you know if he had any dynamic work. It was more like max effort and rep. But uh, I remember looking at it and being like, uh, it's pretty fucking basic. And yeah. the amount of people... And when he put that program out, downloaded it and used it, uh, far outpaced. And I, uh, it might have been when he was at the event we, that uh, lead FTS. He twenty fourteen yeah, or fifteen. Uh, One of those yeah. two. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he was like, you know, I mean, we've had this program downloaded X amount of time, and it's mm-hmm. probably you know more people. Your whole mailing list. Yeah, I mean, more people yeah. know probably Westside for Skinny Bastards than they actually know Westside. Yeah. So uh, you know, just. I mean, I, man, as, as uh, we're sitting here, I'm thinking about my introduction for Westside. My roommate in college um, was a big power lifter, and he had the Westside bench videos uh, in VHS. And I remember we watched them, and they were all fucking grainy and super shitty. And at the end, there was a phone number, and it was like, call. And literally, you could call and talk to Louie. And so it was, uh, you know, let me think about Louis selling those videotapes to people, mail order, probably packing them as Doris packing them up herself yeah. and sending them out. And the fact like that so many people copied and handed them out, you know, the viral nature of it, which I mean, probably exploded on it and was, you know, was probably way better than, you know, pay for a download. I mean, just it's like bands giving away uh, uh, burner CDs, hoping that people, you know, copy them, give them to their sure. friends. I mean, um, Ironically, uh, I was in the car yesterday taking my daughter and um, I made her, she watched uh, Stranger Things. So now she's all into like the 80s. So she had me make her like an 80s playlist. And like, uh, as we're in there listening to Metallica, Master of Puppets, which, you know, is fucking standard. um, She's like, hey, dad, when was the first time you heard this? I'm like, I heard it on a mixtape that my friend burned me. So my friend gave me a mixtape that he had made with like uh, Master of Puppets. And I was like, and and I was trying to, as I'm trying to explain to my daughter, what a mixtape was and how this whole thing goes and like you know that there were these things that when they get fucked up you had to put a a pencil in and screw them in it was it was probably about 30 minutes and she's just looking at me and being like how fucking old are you and i'm like yeah but you you like this song she's like it's great i'm like yeah it was as fucking hot then as it was then and i this you know the quality is way better but it's uh it's interesting when you start thinking about the perspective of how long it takes to actually become an overnight success i'm sure people hit you up and you're like dude we did a lot for free we worked, we were just at the right time for this thing. And um, now we're kind of reaping the benefits. Yeah. I have that conversation with my wife all the time about like just the progression of like going from CDs or even tapes to CDs to, you know, where we're at present day. And it's, uh, 
it's very interesting but i i think that that definitely is a i mean it holds true i mean you, you got to do a lot for free um and i i think that you know it's it's all about providing free value so if if you're giving away i, I heard a quote from some marketing guru and i'm not i'm you know just a a caveat here i'm not i don't know a whole a whole lot about marketing my wife is actually involved with my business so so luckily i have her to handle that side of things but they said if you're giving away so much that it makes you want to throw up then <laughs> you're doing it right and um I, I mean i i really do think that that's the case i think that everyone wants to like think that they have the secret sauce that they're you know if you give it to them like you're you're giving away the keys to the kingdom when in reality I see that the more you give away, you know, with, with, um, you know, whether it be programs, templates or whatever the case may be, I feel like it almost makes people more compelled to want to work with you or, or, or even, you know, spend money with you. So, um, I, I, I tell that to a lot of people, but I think that the necessary step that needs to happen before any of that is, um, you got to do the time in the trenches. You got to, you know, like you said, the testing process and figuring out what works and what doesn't work and, and having that breadth of knowledge where you can then, you know, be in a position to confidently give that program or, or those strategies to a potential client you're working with. How's your TikTok game? Not good. Um, we, I'm glad to know we're not the only ones with a weak TikTok game. Yeah, no, TikTok. So we, we try to repurpose like Instagram reels. Um, and, and, and we have, we, we hired a VA from I think Fiverr or somewhere. And we try to repurpose that stuff. Like where it's like an Instagram reel gets repurposed as TikTok, which there's a different, there's a whole different thing happening there. So it doesn't work that easily, unfortunately. Um, but then we repurpose those as, uh, as YouTube shorts now too. And those are like hit or miss, which again is, there, there's so many different languages to all this stuff. I think what we've seen with, with just, um, I mean, IG is really our go-to. We've seen, and this happened recently, we actually, I think over the last couple of weeks, we've gained 5,000 new followers. And we started doing longer carousel posts. And you guys can look at any of them. There's about six or seven of them there. And they are very, very simple. Um, no less, a lot less science. So just kind of like simplifying you know, one of them is, um, you know, about a, a method that I use called the six twelve twenty five method. You've probably heard of it from Charles Poliquin. Yeah. And it basically encompasses all three tenets of hypertrophy, uh, mechanical tension, muscle damage, and metabolic stress. And there's, I've used it quite a bit over the years. I've written articles for Teen Nation about it. Um, that one got 6,000 saves and a 300,000 reach. Wow. So if, I think just from that one, we gained a thousand followers. So my wife's been taking a lot of the, the content that I've made and kind of making it funny and simplifying it. Um, and those have the interaction for those is, is just done incredibly well. I mean, I think again, it's IG and those places have turned into quick, you know, the, the three second reel crushes the one that you put time into. And there's, you know, a bit of, of nuance to don't do is is even close to as well so i think that it's just again you know all the things i think we're talking about in this this episode have been kind of the same thing simplified you know quick bits of information that are easy to understand digestible and you know might you know if you have a little bit of humor in there um i think it certainly helps 
Yeah, no, I do. I'm uh, forever uh, interested on like the algorithms and really what hits. And I think IG is pretty interesting in that. I think people just want to be quickly entertained. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that they're also, uh, you know, I've actually watched way too much information because Antonio kicked it my way. He was the video guy on the other side about like the new algorithms and like, you know, their idea of battling TikToks. So and now it's like the Instagram reels are being uh, prefaced in terms of like static pictures. So now people are like posting pictures, like multiple pictures as Instagram reels. And yeah, uh, it's so weird. You can dive into these fucking rabbit holes. And I'm like, God damn. When I was joking with Antonio, I'm like, I just wasted like three hours of my fucking life. Yeah. Um, that, you know, probably uh, some, you know, 14 year old girl figured out way faster than me. And I think, you know, cause in, in my mind, um, uh, I, dude, uh, I have a hard time uh, I think it's interesting. Like, I mean, I, I know Paul Quinn's system and, uh, you know, I've always argued with him on the time under tension stuff. I never yeah. thought that, uh, you know, actually giving somebody a controlled time in terms of concentric movements made any sense. And I actually went to one of his original uh, deals back in the day. And uh, Derek Woodsky, who taught for him, is a good friend of ours. So we've had good conversations. But I mean, dude, there's so much cool shit that people don't even remember. Like uh, we were talking the other day on Marvel de Pasquale's anabolic diet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes. you know, the father of carb cycling and people are like, oh, you know, uh, everybody's talking about carb cycling. I'm like, well, yeah, no, this dude did it way back when. So it's, uh, it's interesting how, uh, what I think the word is, um, like people's time is a flat circle. It's cyclical. <laughs> no, it's just basically their, their ability to like process information is so quick that, uh, you know, it's almost like, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, you put something out and it didn't hit. And then like a week later, you probably put it out and it hit. That's it, the yeah. T nation model, John. Well, well it, you change the, you change the title or, or, I mean, there's just so many different variables and, you know, I think that again, I feel like it's it, the, the simpler, the better. My, my wife makes reels that do really well. It'll literally, she made one of me sitting at the computer and it was like three ways to improve your programming, improve your exercise order, improve your sets, reps and rest intervals. I forget what the other one was, but, um, you know, that one crushed and literally took her four seconds to make it, you know, whereas like I'm making one, it's like, you know, plyometrics and going through like, you know, it's way too complicated, complex. And, um, in the same token, it takes me two hours to make it. So it's like, you know, where's the return simple, the quick, the, the easy, um, the ones that again, people don't have to think about. And, you know, for me as, as, someone that wants to educate and, and give them the why that's a hard shift. I mean, I'm sure you guys the same way, like, you know, you, you want to tell someone why and, and give them some legitimacy to, to what you're, you're giving them. And, and, um, you know, that's not necessarily the thing that's going to do well and reach more people. No, um, I've, I mean, we're a nice button, a big cans. I mean, that's really the yeah. best way to sell on Instagram. This is unfortunately, the challenge of the numbers game. Uh, Tex is the only one that puts out the peach pictures. So, well, I, I got my, the peach to I'm prove it. <laughs> but Jason, the, the numbers game doesn't always tell the story because you are finding your people that do sure. appreciate and value that. Uh, like scanning through your elite FTS and just a scan, a quick scan here, I can see just the the evolution of of your wording from, hey. Uh, conjugate for the gen pop to then now conjugate for the everyday athlete Mm -hmm. and seeing how that is evolving as as an educator i do appreciate that because you're not just spitting the same thing you're finding a different way to then uh, connect with your your people Mm -hmm. your audience i do like everyday athlete because we've used the we've beat to death the dead horse that is general pop yeah Mm -hmm. 
No, I mean, there's um, there's an interesting distinction, I think, uh, you know, and Texan actually caught, talked about this the other day. Uh, we have historically always trained athletes. Uh, athletes at a certain point need strength, they need muscle, they need all these other things opposed from like writing program that's purely hypertrophy based where your only goal is hypertrophy. And like there, so there's like an interesting thing when like, what's my outcome? I want people to be strong and I want to be fast. I want to be able to move well. Uh, whereas I think on the hypertrophy side, when you go down that, like, what does it really matter? Um, and even though those people maybe move well, like the focus, like I'm constantly in this, like when I'm watching stuff, like I'm not as concerned with, you know, oh, that guy needs to squat more, his legs are bigger. I'm like, is he moving the weight from point A to point B? Well, and mm -hmm. everything is it aesthetically pleasing? Is he doing these things as intended? Uh, you know, if he's uh, deadlifting and he's extremely long leg, short torso, you know, what does this back angle look like? What, you know, how can I make this more efficient? Um, whereas, you know, in other movements where if it's purely hypertrophy, I probably would never have him deadlift. Mm -hmm. And we've had people that are, hey, I just need to put on some muscle and we have some programming for that. But even on that side, I still have this heavily bias towards wanting people to move well and be a good athlete. Just sticking somebody in a selectorized machine and, you know, realizing that when I create stability and can push them to failure, you know, this is where the bounds of hypertrophy are found, but yet do nothing for all the other elements of balance and coordination and movement and being able to move through space well. So there's always this constant battle where, um, and, you know, and I know that there's a ton of people on Train Heroic and throughout that all they want to do is create max hypertrophy. But like for me, if I see a jack dude, that looks great, but I'm more impressed if I see somebody run well. Mm -hmm. So like there's this constant fucking battle in my head. And I'm, I'm sure you saw in the CrossFit gym, we had people that uh, were uh, like would come in and start training with us and like, you know, I want to do all these things. I'm like, I just need you to move better so that when I watch you doing something, I don't want to go like wrap you in a blanket and tackle you to the ground so you don't fucking hurt yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, thing like, you know, knees caving. um, you know, navicular drop where all of a sudden that now it's a biomarker for ACL tears. And we're like, well, shit, dude, if you, you have such bad knee cave and valinicular drop that if I ask you to change direction, there's a good chance when you get stronger, you're going to blow an ACL. So being able to fix these things and make people more efficient movers while balancing all the other elements of like rest and recovery. And, uh, do I look good naked to go on vacation has been this like, you know, it's, it's as, as Louis described it once to me, um, uh, programming's a lot like uh, moving dials on an EQ. Like you hear the noise, it might sound somebody good, but you have to tune it and you have all these different buttons and you have to tune it so that it's just right and every song is going to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. and I thought that was the best analogy I came across for programming. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. I think that, you know, one of the other things that, you know, you, you kind of alluded to there is that, you know, CrossFit will give you the foundational movement patterns and they'll give you the standard of, let's use a squat, for example, you know, shoulder width, stands, toes slightly pointed out, hip crease below the knee is a standard. Well, that's a standard. That's an arbitrary standard. It doesn't take into any, there's no anthropometric considerations with that. Should anyone squat below parallel? I mean, it really comes down to the person, right? The individual in terms of where they can express their most authentic position, you know, while maintaining a neutral spine. So being able to tailor that to the individual, I think is, something that's lost the deadlift is inherently a good movement it's deadlift is not a good movement for everyone though some people will make them worse off um and i think that you know that's the that's the challenge with group is that you're putting everyone into the same bubble you know again like my our train heroic program is is a great program is it for everyone no certainly yeah. not it's it's is the best program no it's if i said it was the best program i'd be you know lying um the it's best, best for somebody out there there's for somebody that's best is, but, yeah. but you know what when i work with someone one-on-one -on -one, i still work with people one-on-one -on -one and 
you know, I put them through a movement assessment. I mean, I'm not going to have someone just squat to squat. I want to see you squat. I want to see what, what is authentic for you. What, you know, even in terms of the stance and toe position. Um, so, you know, and again, that's, that's not 27 bucks a month. That's a, that's a premium service. That's me working with someone one-on-one where we can really individualize it. Um, but I think that, you know, we, as a whole, it seems like one of the things that I just got to a point with CrossFit, whereas again, we're making everyone Olympic lift. We're making someone that just wants to look at in their bathing suit, do snatches and kipping pull-ups for time. That to me just didn't make sense. I, 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 I just didn't feel right doing that anymore. Um, well, well so. especially when, when people, um, this was, and I'm, I'm sure you guys found the same thing in your gym. Uh, people wanted to kip cause they couldn't do strict pull-ups. Right. And like, that was like a big deal for me. And I'm like, Hey man, like, believe me, you're going to be a lot happier when you can do a few strict pull-ups and you can do 50 kipping pull-ups. I never felt like, uh, you know, so that was a, a big change in mindset where they, you know, cause of course people jump on, they see the CrossFit. Oh, people are doing these swinging pull-ups and I can get a pull-up that way. And I'm like, yeah, but when you do that, you don't have the strength and musculature to protect yourself in the eccentric load. And now you're letting go, you hit that end range. And now all of a sudden, are you strong enough to protect yourself? And that's what was really fascinating. And I think the narrative that I built in, at least at our gym, when we started working with people was like, I need you to be strong enough to protect yourself from this training. Because what we're doing here is not, you know, I mean, I'm going to ask you to swing a heavy kettlebell. I mean, there's a lot of movements that, if done poorly, will fuck you up. Right. And, uh, you know, I remember the first CrossFit seminar I went to way back in the day, uh, Tony Budding sitting up there with a shirt that says CrossFit smoke you like cheap crack and a hat that said this will fuck you up. And they were wearing this shit as a badge of honor that they were fucking people up. Right. And, uh, you know, I show up and I'm like, yeah, I mean, this you're going to if you've never had anybody tap into this glycolytic capacity shit. Like this will fuck people up and it does. And, um, but then all of a sudden you start seeing where the lug nuts are loose. And that was like my analogy. I'm like, man, the lug nuts are loose. We got to tighten the lug nuts up, which means we got to back it off. We got to make you stronger. And then all of a sudden when we can do all this foundation work, you can go hundred miles an hour and go show up at any CrossFit gym and do fucking well. Um, but you know, it takes foundation and, um, mm -hmm. you know, certain people walked in and they were pretty well sorted. And, uh, you know, the one thing which is nice, especially with CrossFit today, you turn it on, everybody's a good fucking mover. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, you watch, uh, you know, whoever the top guys are, like there's no slop, there's no inefficiency. No. Everybody's extremely strong. They all move well. They all look the part and they're extremely efficient because there's no way to win unless you are good and efficient. Right. Whereas if you go back and you look at like the CrossFit games from fucking 10 plus years ago when I did it, you saw a lot of fucking shit where you were like, holy hell, this person's going to die. Yeah. So it's come a long way. And uh, no, it has for sure. I think that, that that's another thing too. the the motto of, of this will fuck you up. I mean, you know, high, high, I mean, there's a point of diminishing returns. We know that we know how the body responds to stress. And I think that if someone's already chronically stressed out, do they need more high, more intensity in their training? Probably not. I would say they probably need to learn some strategies to bring their stress levels down. And maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as just doing a little bit of zone two work to, to de-stress them. Um, and, you know, every time I have someone from CrossFit come work with me one-on-one, -on -one, which I have almost, I mean, everyone I work with right now is from CrossFit. Um, they're always surprised by how much better results they get with less, like addition by subtraction. We do a lot less and we get even better results. I always say like, do you, you know, if you could make more money and work less hours, would you? You know, and they, I mean, the answer is invariably yes, but um, it's it, always interesting when they see that that's the case. Where do you feel the, the pressure as a gym owner is coming from to program snatches and circle pull-ups? 
and stuff that they can't necessarily coach well. Is that because, um, I mean, I've always felt that for CrossFit, and I know CrossFit HQ has tried to get away from this, but the game's always kind of was the tail wagging the dog. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess those things do find their way into the open. So maybe they're preparing their athletes well, and, and, and people are, you know, dialed in on social media. And if you, uh, you, know, you go to a CrossFit gym and all of a sudden you follow the, the hashtag for CrossFit, you're going to see, you know, all the CrossFit superstars who are, you know, pretty good Olympic lifters. And, and I'll tell you this, um, I remember, um, so we did some really shitty Olympic lifting in high school and it pretty much was hilarious. Uh, we would, uh, I think we all did. We played f- yeah, football. We would power clean until the weight didn't go up as power clean. And then you just would deadlift the weight. So you'd start at like, you know, one, one thirty five, one fifty five, and you just kept going up and power cleaning. And then you get to the point where you just missed the power clean. So then they would just pack on more weight and we would deadlift it. It was, it was all fucked. <laughs> well, so, we, we had split cleans, but instead of like a, uh, forward into a jerk footwork it'd be you get your feet as wide as you oh, can oh, until yeah, you yeah. do the splits yeah that's standard i mean yeah that's standard right uh because nobody actually explained that if you just widen a little bit and drop into a squat like it, it was one of those things where uh until i saw somebody olympic lift well i was like oh this makes so much more sense mm-hmm. so my uh um when i went to college we had a uh, strength coach named uh, eric Cohn, who's kind of a power lifter um olympic lifted was pretty good but like the demos were never very good. And then we got this guy, Todd Rice, who was uh, a pure Olympic lifting coach. And he watched us, all of a sudden he's shown us all these like Bulgarian weightlifting videos that either he had filmed or somebody had. Well, yeah, I know he, he had traveled yeah. overseas to China and, uh, and... And Bulgaria. Yeah. So he actually had been in the training halls in Bulgaria and had his camcorder. And like the videos he had were incredible. I mean, these dudes are like uh, shoes, maybe a set of sweats, no underwear, no shirt, smoking cigarettes and like, you know, like fucking clean and jerking, like, you know, 450 pounds. And then they would, uh, they were always doing some form of like PAP post-activation potentiation. Like they would do like a heavy, you know, clean and jerk, walk over and then do like a standing, like 50 inch, uh, box jump yeah, and yeah. then hop down with like, you know, and then grab their cigarette. And, uh, it, there was always a ton. And, uh, that was where I was first experienced or, uh, exposed to like post-activation potentiation training, which has always mm-hmm. been a big piece of my stuff. Do something heavy, do something dynamic. And then, you know, obviously built on with Cal Dietz is done with, with, uh, triphasic and French contrast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, until I saw those videos, I was like, oh fuck dude, this would have solved so many problems if I could have just seen somebody do this well. And it's pretty exciting to see dudes move weight that well and be that dynamic because as a football player, you're like, fuck, if I can sit in the bottom of a squat and pull 500 pounds and all of a sudden stand up and then jerk it over my head, how well am I going to do on the field? So I think for me personally, um, Olympic lifting, there was like a a one-to-one where it's like, holy shit, dude, those dudes are pretty dynamic and explosive. And if I can be dynamic, explosive, I can play this game. Whereas I think now with you know, people go to a CrossFit gym, they click on it and they see the, you know, CrossFit superheroes over there doing these, doing this stuff. And they think, why not me? Why can't I do that? Shouldn't we do it? Isn't this CrossFit? And then they walk in and you're like, yeah, but they're also in their early twenties. They've been real proficient at this. You're a 40 year old mother of three who, you know, maybe has a shoulder impingement. It's not going to work out the same way. No. And I mean, if it did, you know, if all we had to do was just train harder, then we would all be rich froning, right? We'd all be, you know, look like him and move like him and be as resilient as him. But I mean, that's not the case. That's why there's, you know, one rich Froning and one Matt Fraser and, you know, all of these top athletes that are, that are very much gifted, um, and are, are suited to do that. And obviously are, are pushing themselves and, and being able to tolerate and take in the training and not burn out or, or get hurt. 
Well, they, and, and they've also loaded it over years. That was another thing I explained to people. I'm like, oh, those guys start with one workout. There's a specific term. Is it called linear progression? Gradiation. Ah, gradiation. That's why the success for the female athletes, they get into the sport of fitness, their gymnastics backgrounds mm. or their swimming backgrounds, that high volume at a young age, then they don't need as much, as you mentioned earlier, Jason, mm-hmm. to have success at it so that that's called gradation over time all right. of our reps count. well the, uh, the same thing applies for football uh-huh. um because yes. whenever you meet people be like oh my god how, how come nfl players aren't dying from those hits if an average person took that hit oh god uh, they yeah. would die terry and, tate or that uh, protester yeah and i try to explain it to him i'm like well dude you start taking these hits when you're a little kid let's say you're four you know high school let's say 14 and then as you get bigger and stronger everybody else gets bigger and stronger and the hits get kind of you know it's kind of like uh I don't know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, alcohol would be a good example where like the first time you drank, like you get super sick. And then over time, if you want to linear progress it, but uh, I mean, I thing. know people that drink every day and function. So it's going to be true. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, so I didn't realize it, uh, you know, whenever we'd had people on the sidelines who were, you know, not obviously football players, like I've had numerous people that were on the sidelines be like, holy fuck, I've never seen people move this fast and hit this hard. Like, how are you guys not dead? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Just, but this is this is what we do, and this is how we've been doing it for a long time. And so I, I just got into uh, uh, somebody asked me about uh, Tua. Oh my goodness um, gracious! Yeah, with those hits, like why is it that just hitting his head on the turf like that uh, have reduced those responses? I'm like, well, one, he's not a very big dude. So the way the NFL is turned now, um, guys that probably weren't physically able to play are able to play the game because of what they've done in terms of hitting. So Tua is just not a very big dude, not very durable. And I'm like, man, I, I, I played with quarterbacks that fucking got smashed by 300-pound dudes mm-hmm. and got up and were fine. So, like, is there a durability factor? I mean, I just uh, – I think the way that the game is turned in terms of the quarterbacks now, all of a sudden you saw that deal where that guy, like, kind of, like, laid on Tom Brady for a minute and they called yeah. pass, uh, roughing the passer – and then uh, Troy Aikman's about to get fired because he's like, Jesus, can we take the dresses off these guys? And uh, I don't know if you nice. heard that. No, and, uh, but I love it. Now they're the woke mobs going after him about, oh, he's, you know, <laughs> he's being an, you know, but it's, uh, if you've played football at any length in time, some coaches probably said, hey, put your big girl panties on, take your dress yeah, off, sure. leave your purse in. Like they've just made, like that's, and so fuck those people. But I mean, I don't know how you play. I mean, you know, the, the, the way the game is gone. I mean, again, like the Tom Brady thing is a good example. How do you, how do you adjust your playing to fit that standard? Jason, uh, what position were you? I think it, I played I personally, back. I think what it, what happens is, is um, you basically, these guys. Uh, and so the way that they kick you in the balls isn't on the field. A uh, 15 yard penalty is 50 yard penalty. It's when you get the hundred or $50,000 fine the next right, day in right. your office or like, I mean, sorry, you show up and there's a FedEx envelope there where you get fined twenty five or $50,000 and you're like, oh, fuck, I just played this last you, week for free. Do you have yeah. to like formally pay it or they cut it out of your no, paycheck? No, they just take, you don't get your paycheck. Okay. They just take it right out and then they just, and then you have to appeal it. And uh, then you get on with the appeal and it's like one dude, it's actually funny, it's Runyon now, which is even more hilarious because Runyon was a fucking such a gross abuser of that. And, <laughs> well, uh, that's why they got him in. Well, He's I well know, versed. that's why they got it. And, uh, and then Runyon decides whether or not this is legit or not. And fuck, it, it, so long story short, uh, the players end up, I think, uh, having that in the back of their head. So you watch them rough the pass, or, I mean, uh, rush the passer or do certain things. And I see guys pull up constantly 
when I'd be like, man, I would have taken that fucking shot or this yeah. or this. I mean, I don't know if you watched the game last night, but um, is it uh, uh, Kelsey, uh, the tight end for Travis Kelsey? Yeah. Oh my God. He, uh, like, I've never in my life seen, um, so the, uh, he, he runs this basic little route to the end zone turns, and as the guy's coming for him, you see him have this, like, split second, like, in years past, as that ball was in the air, they would have just fucking annihilated the tight end. He didn't. He, like, took a step, like, going for the ball, and then realized that he wasn't going to get it, so then he had to turn back, and Kelsey, it, it was the the worst indecision I've ever seen because that guy knows that if he hits him the way he should, he's going to get fined. Mm -hmm. And so now these guys are like playing like, um, just like it's a bad game of seven on seven. And it's because the NFL one, they're spending you know half a billion dollars for a guy like Mahomes. They want to see him score, score points because that's, what's big on fantasy mm -hmm. and they don't want these hundred million dollar dudes getting hurt. So it's easier just to neuter the defense and yeah. make the game like I mean, just take the pads off. Let's just go seven on seven. Like it's uh, like like watching it last night. Uh, you know, Kelsey's an incredible player. Like he's on the Mount Rushmore with Tony Gonzalez for for tight ends. But uh, it's frustrating to watch because uh, you know Jason Whitlock even had a deal. Like football's a violent game, and that's why it's entertaining. It's not entertaining when you when you remove the violence, and you know it's awful that Tua you know hits his head and has this thing. But like at some point, you're like, Dude, I mean, that's what you signed up for. I mean, it's part of know, the deal. I, it's the same thing like in the military with, with, you know, all the repercussions of not having, you know, positive identification if you fire your weapon. Um, and that's hung over your head. You know, I, I look at law enforcement today. I mean, you can't do anything wrong. Um, so, you know, in that instance, with law enforcement is the example, a split section, a second could be your life, right? You decide you're not going to pull the trigger because you're scared of the repercussions. I mean, you could be you could die because of that. And I think that, you know, anytime you have someone that's second guessing under like a, whether it's a football game or, or law enforcement and pulling a car over, I mean, you have to think about how to act, then it's going to change the process. And there is going to be some negative side effect of that. And hopefully it's not your life, but uh, I mean, it could very well be. Well, it's, it's why you lift weights and you train and, you know, you put on muscle and size, and and uh, I think because of just observation-wise, these guys have been um, just such in the cradle for so long, and it's because they're they're super talented. And I, I think because of high school and college, and I mean, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying they're prima donnas by any means. It's not all what I'm saying, but because of how athletes are treated and maybe these guys have shown such aptitude at such a young age that maybe they haven't been forced into the crucible they were like they would have been x amount of years ago and i mean uh, i remember uh you know tom brady came out and he's like if if the rules hadn't changed and uh it was like my first x amount of years in the nfl i would have never been able to play as long as i have the only reason i've been able to play 20 plus years was because it's completely changed and if the first 10 years of my career or even, yeah, I mean, even less that first nine career years of the career were like this, I could have played 30. So I just don't think that the, it's as physical. And I think as a result, man, when these dudes do get hit, it's a lot more catastrophic. Yeah, for sure. You know, like just like probably bringing somebody in. I mean, as you remember, uh, the original thing at CrossFit was like fucking fight club, like mm -hmm. show up in your first day. Uh, there is no fucking on-ramp. There is no scaling. Like if your first day is Murph, you're going to get fucking Murph. 
I mean, we had people show up to our gym and like, it was something awful and it was their first day and yeah. they get into it, get implode and we would never hear from them again yeah. to the point where we were like, uh, maybe we need like a, a beginner introduction <laughs> wad that we shouldn't just throw them into the fucking deep end, like a bunch of piranhas. And, uh, you know, and then people got smart. They started having on ramps. They started actually treating it like a business, not just like a fucking in the whole wall fight club, which is, is pretty much what we got indoctrinated into when we showed up. If, I mean, I remember the first day I showed up for CrossFit, it was fight gone bad. Mm. And uh, I was like, why is it called fight gone bad? And about X amount of later, I knew exactly why it was called fight gone bad. Oh, it was fucking terrible. Yeah, I showed up for the Filthy 50 my first day. And I think day two was Fran. So, I mean, completely obliterated who's writing this shit? uh so uh i did so cross that's why i had a job <laughs> well uh you so know. when i did cross or so when i went to go train at that gym and i got sucked into doing crossfit i told my brother um my brother played college football college baseball super fit uh strong trained and i was like hey man you got to come do this thing with me and he's like ah oh, fuck it same attitude i have let's go do it so we're going through the workout and i think there was like uh, I was like three rounds of like three or four things for 60 seconds and like we really we're still probably doing fight gone bad, just different variations. We didn't know anything else. Mm -hmm. And so there was a rest in between rounds. And I'm like, we did three or fight gone bad, three or five. I can't remember, but it was three rounds. It's three, but then a championship, like a real man does five. Yeah. Ah, okay. So after round two, like I like, you know, we got a 60 second rest and I'm, uh, I'm like, uh, you know, we get done, I'm looking for him and he's in the parking lot. And I'm looking at the window, like waving for him to come back in. And he's just shaking his head like, fuck off. I'm not coming back. <laughs> and I went out there and I was like, get back in here and fucking finish. And uh, we almost got in a fight in a parking lot. And I ended up dragging him back in, finishes. And uh, at that point, he was hooked. He was like, fuck, if anything is this hard, I got to be able to get better, which is just stupid football player mentality. Yeah, yeah. You know, like if, if 10 sprints are good, I'm going to run 20. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and we, we know that there's a law of diminishing returns and all the other deal. But. I'm glad that we're a lot smarter and things have evolved past this fucking idea of just getting bloodied every day. Yeah, for sure. Well, checking out your Instagram, you have a new program for tactical athletes. I so do. speak to us a little bit about that and, and the mindset. Because um, you as a tactical professional, you have an idea of the expectations, the execution, and the responsibilities outside. So now you're training specifically for those. So what's the mindset you're taking into this program? Well, I think that, you know, if you go back to the unknown and unknowable, I mean, that's, that's definitely very much a, a key tenant of that. And what does that mean? Well, that means you could be sprinting 400 meters and then tackling someone and having a, a just a vast array of, of physical qualities at your disposal. I think at the end of the day with any program I write, it comes down to, as Louis said, the base of fitness, which for, for me is the aerobic system. So, um, you know, writing a program like this for the masses is, is tricky, right? Because, you know, I would say if I'm working with someone one-on-one -on -one and they're a tactical athlete, there's, there's a lot of other factors that come into play, like their stress levels and their, you know, things like their resting heart rate and looking at how they, how they are dealing with different stressors in their life at any point in time. So, you know, boiling it down to what does a tactical athlete need that may be different than just the everyday athlete? Um, and we know that the aerobic system is going to afford you the ability to recover. It's going to afford, it's going to improve recovery through a number of physiological processes. Um, it's going to allow you to tolerate stress. Um, but how does someone transition between that and maximal strength and anaerobic power or capacity? Um, so having, a, you know, a really well-designed template for this 
using the conjugate system where again we're working on multiple levels of strength whether it be you know explosive strength or speed strength or or, or you're even going on the other end of the force velocity curve and looking at more of just maximal effort or submaximal effort strength um being able to use all of those qualities of fitness at any moment's time and again i think that if the foundation is there then we can do that because anaerobic power or capacity is going to be best utilized if you have the underlying mechanisms to regenerate ATP and higher energy phosphates and have someone in a position where they can utilize the fitness that they've been working on. Um, so if you don't have that key tenant, you know, th there's going to be a disconnect again, it's like having the, the woman at the CrossFit gym doing snatches and kipping pull-ups when she probably just needs to learn the six foundational movement patterns first. Um, so that is a very, very, I would say probably the arguably the most important aspect of this, of this program is having just a, a, a very consistent delivery of GPP and, and getting people in a position where they can, they can utilize the fitness that they've built. Um, but I, I think that at the forefront of any training program, any great training program is, is the management of stress. And again, I think if you're looking at the aerobic system or someone's aerobic capacity, so to speak, then, you know, that, that allows us to, to really build in other higher demand things like anaerobic work and have it play out the way that we would like it to play out. But without that piece, you know, I, I tell people with this program and I haven't even launched it yet, but it's coming out is that, um, you know, this is a very advanced program. Do I think anyone should be doing anaerobic work? Like if I, if I'm going to ask someone to do, you know, again, that same woman that's at the CrossFit gym, we're going to have you do, uh, you know, ATPPC power work on the air bike. Is that really a, uh, something that's going to be an influential part of your program? Probably not. I mean, it's very dictated by a lot of things, your training, training age and, and, you know, your overall, uh, strength levels and, and things that, that will really kind of dictate whether or not that, that method goes the way we'd like it to. Um, so again, I think at the, at the end of the day, managing stress, building that base of fitness as the foundation, and then that kind of opens up the door for other things. And I think in the same thing in the CrossFit gym goes, holds true as well. If the crux of your program is building someone's base of fitness, their, their general physical preparedness, and then you want to do a hero workout, then I think those things will go a lot better. I think if you just skip that step and on day one, you're doing filthy 50, then there's a, there's going to be a, an issue. Um, maybe not right away, but it's not a question of if it's a question of when. Sure. Yeah. With, we spoke to Annette Zapp, fire rescue wellness, and she, she had an excellent observation because we provide a lot of training for tactical athletes, fire police, military out there. And her fight, her biggest concern is getting firefighters to just reach that base level of fitness to yeah. then do the kick-ass programs that we all offer here, like hammer. So it, it, it is an interesting battle. So like where you said, Hey, this is not an easy program. Yeah. There is an on-ramp, certainly, uh, the old get in shape, get ready to get in shape. Well, I, like the other one is, um, you know, especially people come from the tactical world, they, uh, you know, there's this idea on like a fitness test and I'm like, you know, the fitness, like the fact that you guys want to train just specific for a fitness test has always kind of bothered me. I always thought that, you know, you should train your ass off and then the fitness test should just be, you know, another training day. And, uh, you know, the fact that when you're all of a sudden you're scaling your entire life to somehow make some form of fitness test, um, that to me feels real broken and uh, because then people just train to, you know, whatever the minimum standard is instead of training for like the worst possible outcome. 
And uh, I think that was an interesting thing when we went and worked with the military and also anybody in the LEO law enforcement door kicker deal is like, you know, I mean, yeah, I realize that there's fitness tests and I know that's what you're worried about, but that's not what I'm worried about. Like, are you strong enough to be able to get out of a situation with your buddies and survive? And to me, that's a better marker than some arbitrary fucking dude holding a stopwatch. Well, it's, I don't think it's realistic. I mean, and that's why, you know, I, I should have led with that. This is a concurrent program. It's not, we're not working on maximal strength for eight weeks or, or power development for, for six weeks or whatever the case may be. It's, it's, we're working on 365 days a year, seven days a week, you're going to be ready to go. Um, and again, if you just focus on aerobic development for eight weeks, you're going to lose maximal yeah. strength. I mean, it's that vicious cycle of, as Louis used to say, going three quarters of the way up the mountain and coming back down. So this is not a linear program. I think that you, you got to have that stuff. Again, pe people used to ask me all the time about at CrossFit gyms, what are we doing to prepare for the open? Like the open is one event. It happens once a year. And it used to be, I don't even know when it is now, but it was in February, uh, the last time I checked, um, and, you know, people wanted this lead up to it. And I'm just like, the work is being done year round. Um, in a group setting, you know, you have people that are coming in all the time. So you run a, a strength cycle, you know, you're, you might have half the people that miss it. Or if someone goes on vacation for two weeks, they miss the, the crux of that cycle. So it's about being prepared 365 days a year. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, dude, I've always been a fan of concurrent training models. Uh, my entire life. I, I always hated the classic NSAM, uh, you know, hey, you're going to build an aerobic and then you're going to do this and this. And I always felt that like there was a way to do a concurrent training model and even in little microcycles. And that's the way I've always designed stuff where it's like, you know, like adjusting that EQ. I'm not just basically just playing the music, turning up the bass as loud and then just fucking tuning the bass. We're trying to make everything work. But unfortunately, uh, and like not everybody's at the same level. And like you said, I mean, for us, we have beginner programs and I think that there's a negative connotation with beginner. And, uh, mm -hmm. it was, uh, I'll just give you an analogy last night at, uh, uh, cause I'm obviously a white belt. Uh, one of the other dudes who got fucking smashed was a little, he's like, fuck dude. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? That belt gives you the license to get fucking smashed and not be upset about it. When all mm -hmm. of a sudden you start getting color on your, around your waist. Now people are going to fucking expect something from you. So just, and, and the guy was like, that's a really good mindset. I'm like, yeah, dude, you're supposed to get fucking smashed. Would you think you were just going to show up and be good? And, uh, like, and that's, that's similar with our programs where people come in and they look at like the shiny, Hey, look at this deal. We're going to be doing, mm -hmm. you know, rotating through all these different movements and this and like conjugate or whatever and sprint and run and this. And I'm like, yeah, but if you can't squat a bar well, and we can't even start with like, you know, and, and, uh, I always like the, the back squat more for reduction of force and actually teaching athletic position, challenging posture and position in these different ranges of motion and realizing that, you know, you were talking about squat depth, your body won't let you go into a position that's unstable. So when all of a sudden people are stopping and in the CrossFit stuff, they're like, you got to get lower. And I'm like, yeah, maybe they're not strong enough or stable enough to get lower. Mm -hmm. I've seen plenty of people air squat fine. You put a bar on their back and they can't squat below parallel. And then they start wondering why. And I'm like, it's because you're not strong in that position, but we're going to mm -hmm. spend a lot of time getting you strong in that position. You'll be fine. Just fucking follow the process. And there's this negative connotation with being a white belt or a beginner. And I'm like, everybody has to go through this. And if you didn't do the foundational work today, uh, you're going to have to do it in the future. Like, you, like there's no way to skip this initial step. I don't know how to basically plug you into the matrix and make you fucking Neo where it's like, I know jujitsu. I know Kung Fu. It doesn't fucking work like that. And uh, that's where I think, especially with our programming stuff, being able to like help people get to the right place because I found the sooner we can get them in the right bucket, 
then the better they'll do in terms of stickiness and staying with the program and evolving. Uh, when they get in the wrong bucket, they fucking peel out really fast because they get in and the, you know, some of the shit's kind of advanced and it's over their head and you're like, man, but that's, uh, and then when you ask them, be like, hey man, maybe it's just a little advanced. Maybe if we go back, they take offense to it. And I tell people, I'm like, dude, uh, you know, everybody's a beginner and there's no shame in that. I wish I could go back in time and be a beginner because those are the greatest strength games I ever made. You know? Yeah, I got a question uh, on the line about our training program, Field Strong. Somebody asked us, is this a hard program? And I need more context from them as to what exactly they were training and looking for. Because Field Strong's our athlete development programming. So it is challenging in respect, but if you're looking for the face melting emotional intensity versus the movement challenges, French contract, uh, contrast, PAP, and things like that, then this is not the program for you. So needed to establish an expectation for them to walk into before they, me just saying, yeah, it's, it's hard, but it's, you know, not exactly the, uh, the barn burning old, uh, you know, CrossFit style. Mm -hmm. Um, Jason, I do have one final question for you. And this is something that we continue to battle ourselves. You had a post on the value of recovery. So active recovery versus passive recovery. A number of our training programs, we program into reload, deload weeks because we run certain cycles on there. And people follow for a number of months, years, long time. So we have to build this in for them. But sometimes new people to this style of of periodized, scheduled out training programs, they hate the deloads, they hate the reloads. So how do you argue and present and prepare your athletes for this active recovery, this week that they need their adaptations to unfold within their body and performance? Yeah, that's always, always a tricky one. I think the psychology piece is, is something that, um, is a part of programming education. You know, how do you get buy-in? How do you build value in those things? And I'm always been a big believer. Like I, you know, mentioned early on this, uh, episode talking about, you know, educating the people I work with about things like a rope, the aerobic system. And what does it mean to have a better aerobic system in terms of, you know, improving nutrient delivery and, and more, you know, oxygen to, to skeletal muscle. Um, so I try to build value through again, very, I would say simplistic education. I'm not going down like PhD level dissertation on the aerobic system, but just enough to get people to see that it has some value. Um, and then, you know, programming that at, in a way that it is very, uh, it is, it is very succinct in terms of what I'm asking them to do. Um, so if it's zone two, you know, I want your heart rate to be in 60, 70% range, you know, using a cyclical measure for, you know, in this case, I think it was 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and, and just again, building value in that we do, some type of active recovery every week. That's every Sunday in our program. And, and, you know, there are certain people that need more of it. There are certain people that need less of it. I have a guy right now I work with that's got a resting heart rate of 38. He wants to get stronger and gain muscle. Does he need more aerobic capacity? Absolutely not. If he goes up five beats per minute, his resting heart rate, he's still going to be okay. I mean, he's still in the forties. Um, so I think that there's, I always, you know, try to give that caveat of, Hey man, if you're stressed out, um, you know, and everything has just been the shit in your life. Maybe you, you need to reset where we do an actual full deload week um, with the train heroic app, because I'm sure you guys know this, that, that it's, it's ongoing. Um, 
and you have people that are coming on all the time. I don't necessarily do a deload week, um, but I used to work with a group of guys and we would do a deal, a full deload week where it's, again, it's like a reset where we're repatterning, we're focusing on our quality. We're just kind of getting into a headspace to, to jump onto something new. Right. So I think that the piece of building value as to why, how it's beneficial, how, you know, everyone always asks, this is one of the reasons I don't write articles for T nation anymore is because it's, it's very hard to know what's in it for me. That's the piece of the puzzle that people want what's in it for me. Um, so you almost have to remove all the nuance and just say, well, listen, you are going to get stronger and more fit <laughs> if you do this, um, and to just trust the process. So I think that going at it from that level of just the psychological value of, of, Hey, you're not going to lose. No one got strong or weak in one week. No one got fat by eating one Big Mac, right? It's, it's one week of time where you're, you're de-stressing it's going to, you're going to notice a tremendous benefit when you come back, you're going to feel restored and renewed where you have a new level of motivation to start. I did see a, not a new uh, this caveat. I did see uh, a teammate get out of shape in one week. So we finished, uh, we did our winter conditioning. We did our spring ball and then we had uh, spring break. This is college in college. Okay. And, he must uh, have really, really dude, went hard. He went to Mexico <laughs> with like on this party thing. They drank like uh, we got done. Our spring game was on a Saturday. And then we had the whole week off and had to be back uh, for summer or for whatever it was. And uh, he goes away and they like went to some like, you know, shitty thing in Mexico spring break where everybody gets on a bus and fucking, just, you know, 50 kids in a room. And I guess they drank nothing but like uh, cheap tequila and booze and ate like uh, fucking Del Taco or something for like a week oh and he came back and it was as if he had like sacked away like 30% of his strength. I couldn't like, I was like, cause I, I always figured like, ah, uh, you know what? Like the, you can't get out of shape in a week. Uh, I physically saw it and he like, he gained probably 10 pounds, looked like shit. And it took him wow. probably better part of like two or three months to play back into it. And I was like, how much did you fucking drink? So then after viewing that, I never went on spring break. So uh, after it got done, because we knew it was starting, like we didn't go on spring break. All these people were going away. We're like, no, nah, we're just going to hang out here. Uh, and it was always because of this one dude completely fucked himself. So I, I'm, I'm agree with you on that, on like the one bid Big Mac, but seven days of drinking, boozing, and completely fucking tearing it up, you can fucking do a lot of damage. Well, I would agree, you know, because I think that, you know, as I've gotten older, I've seen that two days of poor eating on the weekend will I mean, I, I'll, I'll slowly get worse, right? Even if I'm dialed in Monday through Friday, nutrition, sleep, my training, two days of poor eating has the power to just completely reverse all of that hard work. I, I have seen that because I think as I've gotten, you know, closer to 40 years old, I'm like, I really got to be more conscious of my nutrition and even, you know, tracking more on the weekend than, than I have been in the past. And, you know, in the past, in my twenties, it was like the weekend was, I would eat perfect Monday through Friday and the weekend would be just kind of a free for all. Um, and it didn't really have a massive impact on me back then, but now shit, two days, man. It's like, I can't, I actually can't believe it. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of upsetting. <laughs> uh, I'm fucking with you, dude. I, uh, we, we, we did a little bit of challenge and, um, we were doing this, uh, just like a team challenge just to have a little bit of fun. Tech actually did great and crushed it. Uh, I did all right. And, and then all of a sudden, I was like, ah, I took some time off, and I stepped on the scale the other day, and it put on like 12 pounds. And I was like, what the f 
fucking, it wasn't necessary that I wasn't eating. I wasn't eating anymore, but I wasn't regularly eating. I probably was overeating a little much. I wasn't doing as much aerobic work. Just wasn't like doing all of the stupid little shit. And even just like uh, flipping it over for like a week and a half, all of a sudden I'm down, like I lost almost all of that. And I'm like, maybe there's just a little bit of fluff. Maybe uh, as you age, and I remember like the training effect, like um, when I was young, uh, you know, let's say you miss three days on lifting weights or a week, or you come back to something like a few weeks later. Cause we did uh, a little bit of version of a conjugate. Um, when I was trying to bench 500 in college, I actually called Louie on the phone cause I had his numbers on the back of that West side video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey, uh, you know, Doris answered, Whoa! and, uh, Louie came to the phone and he's like, wow, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, Hey, uh, play football at Cal. I'm trying to bench 500. And he laid me out a program over the phone. Oh He's like, God, you're going to need amazing. heavy dumbbells and this. And like, uh, yeah. like, you know, I want your three movements to be, uh, you know, heavy flat bench, uh, dumbbells, heavy floor press, and then uh, a ton of close grips. And we're going to do pauses. And he fucking gave me this program and, uh, ended up benching 500. You still have that program. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't physically have it written down, but I remember yeah. how the cycle went oh, yeah. and, um, his thing, you know, there was no accommodating resistance, but mm-hmm. uh, the old powerlifter I trained with in high school, um, he was a buddy of Fred Hatfield. And so when I was 14, we talked about compensatory acceleration. And it was always like, you're going to lift weights like old people. Like, don't lift weights like old people have sex, he used to say. Slow and careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to break those motherfuckers. And we talked about compensatory acceleration. So then when I talked to Lou, um, you know, he was like, ah, not necessarily accommodating resistance, but I had mentioned uh, old man Zangus and, and uh, compensatory acceleration. And he knew George because they were, you know, powerlifters, federations, the whole deal. And, mm-hmm. uh, but he wrote that program out and I ended up benching 500 and, wow. um, it worked extremely well, but, uh, you know, there were things that we wouldn't touch, like, you know, at that age, all of a sudden we didn't touch something for three weeks and came back and I was just as strong. Now mm-hmm. I find if I don't like revisit things more frequently, all of a sudden I don't have the same, same type of shit. Or if I, you know, all of a sudden I, you know, miss a meal or something, all of a sudden I feel the effect a lot more, which I think is the, mm-hmm. the value of aging. I think you just have less or you need greater, or I'm sorry, uh, there's a, it's, it's a tighter bullseye. Like there's less margin of error, the older you get. Whereas I felt like yes. when I was young, I could just fucking spray and pray, you know, type of a deal. I, I agree. I think now too, I've seen that I almost crave less variation in my, my own programming, um, you know, doing the same variations for not longer than four weeks, but, but at least three or four weeks, um, which usually goes right in hand in hand with like, if I'm, if I'm running a dynamic effort wave, um, but, but having, and, and that's been a challenging one for a lot of the ex CrossFit people, because they're used to doing different workouts every single day. You know, there, there's no repetition, you know, you do a, you know, you do a close grip bench press on week one and week two, it might be a jerk variation. So, uh, it's all over the place. So having them perform the same patterns for three weeks at a given time, um, you know, and building, you know, really focusing on building good motor patterns and, and, and you know, maybe increasing uh, the intensity over that course of that three weeks has been very, very helpful for a lot of these people to to get better. And sometimes they get better without even, even any progression. Sometimes they get better just by improved range of motion from week one to week three. Um, or so trying that, to explain to them that uh, strength isn't random. That you're that right. nobody just randomly got strong, like that was exactly. a that's called a black box, John. No, it's not. Uh, uh, fucking strength is uh, something that you repeatedly put effort into, and there, you know, I mean, it, it's Milo's bowl. I mean, you know, there's a different, there's a million different ways to kind of, you know, if you want to get into a West Side conjugate in this, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. like, there's never a day where it wasn't heavy. You weren't trying to move as fast as you can, or you weren't doing some rep work on the bodybuilding side. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the interesting thing with the conjugate is I think people get so emotionally attached to the different movements. And I remember Louis was like, I could do a conjugate anywhere. You could put me in nature and we could fucking figure out conjugate with the idea that we got to find something slightly heavier than you could lift for X amount of reps. You know, we need to be able to find something kind of light. We could do pick up rocks and throw them. And I remember when, uh, so when I went out there, I think I had like 17 meals in a row with Lou. Uh, we would like go to breakfast, lunch, and dinner for, you know, I mean, it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was it, it's pretty amazing. Um, um, you know, God rest his soul now that he's passed. Uh, you know, all we have is the videos and, and all the stuff Tom's collected. But, uh, you know, I, I, like in hindsight, I wish I had somebody with a camera videoing those fucking dinners that we went to where he's sitting there drawing shit out on, uh, on, you know, on mats and talking about this and just pontificating. And when he, when he talked about like, uh, people get so emotionally attached to the movements. It's not the movements. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, your ability to move something slightly heavier than you can. Can you do something dynamic? And then are you doing enough work to be able to get enough volume to drive, uh, you know, to drive it? And mm-hmm. I think that was extremely impactful for me. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful for the interactions I had with him because it's a fucking trendsetter, man. Who's a cool cat. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, I, I, I don't think, you know, the success of my initial business writing uh, programming for CrossFit gyms, you know, I would, I don't think that, I think at the end of the day, results are king, right? So if you're getting people results, you know, whether or not you're doing any marketing or you have good social media posts, like results speak for themselves. And I, I do believe that the results did come from my, you know, background with the conjugate method and what I learned from going through Louis books. And, um, and so I, I, I don't think I would be sitting here if I, I didn't have that experience with Westside and Louis, Louis Simmons and just all the things I learned from him over the years. Cool. Sweet. Jason, if people want to learn more, where should they head to, whether it's education or program? They can go to my Instagram page, Jason at Jason Brown coaching, um, jasonbrowncoaching.com. And yeah, there's lots of free stuff. So as we talked about lots of, lots of stuff you can dig into lots of articles. So if you're interested in any one of those things, um, strength, conditioning, the marriage of the two, that stuff is all there, ready to go for you. So dig in and enjoy. Sweet. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on Power Athlete Radio. Bye. Bye. Yeah, it's great being on. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you.